Hello, my name is Robert Kaspersen. I'm a Norena ambassador, professional climber and mountain guide. Welcome to Norona Podcast. My name is Eivind Eidslott. In Norona Podcast, we want to inspire you and facilitate great adventures in nature by meeting exciting people and telling fascinating stories. In this episode, you'll meet Robert Kaspersen, Norona ambassador and one of the most experienced mountain climbers out there. Robert climbs big walls and spectacular summits, both in Norway, in the Alps, in the Himalayas, in Patagonia, and in the Antarctica, and he works as an international mountain guide. Robert is guest in several episodes of Nuruna Podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about his several climbing expeditions to the Antarctica. It's an honor for us to welcome the Norwegian climber Robert Kaspersen to our podcast studio here in Oslo, Norway. Welcome to Nuruna Podcast, Robert. Thank you, Ivan. It looks like you're coming straight out of the mountains, as usual. Uh, well, just up the hill today, a short bicycle ride down through the city. Okay. Yes. With a pretty expensive bike as well. Well, yeah, true. It's, I, I didn't dare to leave it out on the street. I <laughs> you carried, carried it. it up. But I mean, it's a correlation between expensive bikes and lightweight bikes. So it yeah. was easy to carry up here. So it was easy in the stairs. Yes. <laughs> you got to tell us, Robert, why did you become so interested in climbing? When did it all start? Wow. Uh, that's a big question. I mean... I, I like to paraphrase, uh, you know, the Norwegian philosopher Arne Ness, who was a keen climber as well, yeah. who one, once answered when he was asked the same question, uh, that um, I never started to climb. I just never stopped. That's uh, a good one. Yeah. And I, I really feel that, I mean, most of us climbers feel that. And I really feel it's true for me as well. As, as a young child, I climbed a lot. Yeah. As most children on furniture, buildings, uh, everything I could see. I was always high, high up in the trees around my, my place where I grew up. And I really loved, every day I climbed several trees and really, really high, thin birch trees with thin branches on top. I really loved that feeling. <laughs> yeah. And I realized even then that I could climb higher than most people. There was no, no other kids climbing as high as I You were not I afraid? I was af I was. I felt the thrill, yeah, I was afraid, but that was partly why I did it, because I, I felt uh, it, it was nice. It was I, I loved the feeling, the sensation of, of risk-taking, actually, yeah. the bus, and that I had to be really careful uh, high up there on the thin branches and also coming back down safely. Uh, What did your parents say? Did they tell you to come down? Uh, no, no, no. They encouraged me. Uh, quite the opposite, I guess. My mother, she was really adventurous type, but she she tried to look away uh, when I did these kind of things. And my father, he he encouraged me, yeah, uh, but made sure, uh, as I do with my children, that I could climb back down again. Yeah, never never pass that step. <laughs> and so we, we we were a sailing family. We had a sailboat, and I was always on top of the mast trying to fix something or or just hanging out on top of there to enjoy the view yeah. and climbing all over the place. So 
actually, I, I never, I never, when I was young, I, I didn't realize climbing was a sport. It wasn't visual in, in, in the public as it is today. Uh, there were no climbing gyms. There were no sort of crags that I knew of. Um, uh, my, my entry into to climbing was through mountaineering. Uh, and and actually via the the library where 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 the books about climbing uh, and then especially Himalaya climbing was right next to the books uh, from the great explorers Rual Amundsen and Fridtjof Nansen the polar yeah, explorers yeah. which was uh, what I was initially keen on the library put those books yeah, in the same category. they were in the same category and <laughs> and I I started skiing doing long ski trips in the on the winter, in, in winter, in, in, in the mountains of Norway, Jotunheimen and, and Hardangevida, the plateaus. And, and through that became interest in, in, in mountaineering, actually. And, and so it was quite by chance, really, that I discovered there was actually a sport, uh, well, climbing as a, as a sport on crags. And, yeah. and, and luckily, I, was, I grew up quite close to this uh, really magnificent crag outside Oslo, Kolsos. So it was just, uh, well, quite a long bike ride, uh, but uh, still, it was a, I was possible. I was able to do it on bike or yeah, reach yeah. that mountain on bike and, and started climbing there. And, and who um, did you meet there? Well, uh, actually, I, I started uh, quite officially on a climbing course through Kolsos Krater Club. Yes, and, uh, the local climbing yeah, the local organization. Climb club and, and with a friend of mine. And uh, it was difficult to start because we were only 16 and you had to be 18 to start really. So we had to get the permission from our parents and there were no other youngsters really climbing. And the community was really small and tight and, and <laughs> quite a lot of uh, interesting but, uh, but strange people. <laughs> characters. So, uh, characters. So it wasn't so easy to, to get involved really. But luckily we were a pair, uh, my friend, uh, Kjetlen and, and myself, and we... We we got hold of some gear and and started climbing after just after the co climbing course. When I entered the climbing course, I I was I don't know what I was thinking, but I think I was uh, thinking that this might just be a, a test and it wouldn't be anything for me. I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't. I was. I can't remember having much consciousness around it. But what happened on the climbing course was uh, anyway that I, I I fell totally in love with this sport, with at this once. activity, at once, immediately. I was scared and um, I loved it. <laughs> I was, after a few hours up in the, the, the crag there, up, up on the steep walls of Kolsos, I, when I came home in the evening, I just had no memories of where I had been or, or nothing. It was just uh, in a complete uh, bubble, sort of. And I had never re experienced this feeling before. And um, so I was, had this sensation of pure yeah, joy. I was absorbed in, well, it was joy, but it was, uh, up there, it was not joy. It was, uh, it was uh, serious business. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, I was uh, 100% concentrated to, to try and stay alive. <laughs> and that was uh, what I loved the most about it. <laughs> and then you just excelled at it. You just became yeah. one of the best climbers in a couple of months or years or something. Well, it was, yeah, I had a, quite a good progression, but that's quite step, a good one. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously, I'd always climbed uh, on, on, <laughs> on, on buildings and, and uh, trees and everything. So yeah. I had a lot of natural movement. 
and I was really keen. Uh, and when you climb a lot, you you progress, and um, so that that was it came quite natural. And um, we were adventure had adventurous spirits. We didn't see many boundaries. We just tried things, and yeah, it was. We just went for it. We we climbed a lot, and just. Like eighteen or nineteen years old, you you went for the troll wall. Yeah, I was eighteen, I think. Uh, so that's well, two years after your course. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, that's a progression. It was progression, and it. Uh, I remember the, the community around us said that uh, they had different plans for us, for me and my friend, and uh, that we should do uh, go to a different mountain area for our next step. Yeah. Our progression after Kolsos. Uh, back in those days, you usually went to Innerdalen. Okay. Uh, that was the natural progression. Yeah. And then eventually, someday, if you were just a few people were ever to reach this level, they could go to the troll wall. Yeah. So, yeah, it's true. We skipped a few of those uh, <laughs> levels in the progression. And, but I think we, we were quite confident because we had... Uh, I'd still climbed a lot of volume in Kolsos. And Kolsos... Is quite loose, especially if you go on all the routes in the on the east face and the lower south face. There's this is very similar to the troll wall actually, or okay. to the to the big mountain routes where yeah. you have a lot of uh, well poor placements and, and loose blocks, and it, it's a quite uh, mountainous uh, environment. So mm. it, it was a good school, I think, doing uh, a lot of volume in these places. But it's true. When I went to the troll wall, I was uh, very curious to to uh, see if. If um, I could uh, have the stamina to do yeah. thousand meter of this type of climbing, I've never done that. Thousand meters high. It's a thousand meters high. Yeah. So, uh, of course. But but then, uh, as people said, yeah, you have to go to Innerdalen today, take more steps before you can go to troll uh, the troll wall. But I I thought that I mean it's the first time for everything. Yeah. You have to. I mean, you, you will never get the experience. You can't climb Trollwegen before you climb Trollwegen. You have to do it once. Yeah. You yeah. just have to do it. And I felt, uh, well, as ready as you can be. I mean, if you feel completely safe, it's not the challenge. I mean, I've, of course, I was in deep water. I was into the unknown. But uh, I had a strong partner and, uh, and yeah, we had... Uh, Would spirit. you recommend other 18-year-olds to do the same? Definitely, if yeah. they're yeah, for sure. If if uh, if they are mature, uh, most eighteen years old today, they have already climbed for ten years. Yeah. So uh, longer than you have. Longer than I <laughs> had. So uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's about your mature level. Uh, mm. uh, if if you're if you're yeah, so so it has nothing to do with your age, uh, or I mean. So if you've climbed and have, and some people in 10 years won't have the same level of experience that other people's people reach in one year. No, that's correct. So you can't compare uh, no. like that. So some, some youngsters at 18, for sure, they're ready for the trouble. Mm. If they're, if they're aware of the risks and, and, mm. and are mature in their head, for sure. During the nineties, you just, you just seem to climb Every day you climbed a lot, and you became the Norwegian champion, and you won the championship several times, and you also climbed the most difficult route we had at that time uh, here in Norway, and maybe in the Nordics, 
this route called uh, Fryktli in Tvil, <laughs> or uh, Terrible in Doubt, or how we should yeah. translate it into English. Yes. I that was, was in 97, 98? Yes, it was in 1998. Uh, I was terribly in doubt about the grade, yeah, because this represented a, a, a new grade in, in the Nordic, Scandinavian Nordic countries. And what grade was it? It was French 8C grade. We had uh, eight Bs and uh, a few unconfirmed eight B pluses. Uh, so this was a big leap, <laughs> yeah. as to say. And I was very in doubt because this was the first route I ever worked, that, like tried to, tried to do. Yeah. Because uh, I was very much, and still I am, uh, an on-site climber. I love I mean, that's the type of climbing I love the most, climbing on-site. Where you start from the bottom and you don't do any examinations. Yeah, well, you examine, you but uh, on from the bottom. Yeah, from you the bottom. Your, you, yeah, it's a good idea to do some examining from the back <laughs> bottom and have some ideas. Yeah. How to, where to, where is the crux? Where do you, should you move fast? And so, but but it's not always as easy, easy to judge from, from below. But of course, on-site climbing is, yeah, no, no primary knowledge. You don't have any information from other climbers. You haven't touched the route, sort of. So... For me, that's the purest form of ascent and where you really have to show who you are as a climber and solve the problem fast, yeah. immediately. Yeah. No no working. Uh, obviously, other climbers, they, they... And I think for me, that's the purest because that's how you will climb in the mountains. Mm. When you're climbing a thousand meter uh, wall, you, you better do it first go and just continue upwards. If, mm. you, if you have to work all the... All the moves, uh, you won't finish the route in no. a, in a day, uh, and a lot of time you you're high above gear, maybe poor gear protection. So yeah. you better not fall. So you better do it on the first go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, for me, that's the, the ultimate way of climbing, and I've always done a lot of on-site climbing. Uh, Prefer that. Yeah. I traveled a lot to to see new crags to try and. and and, uh, and challenge myself on site. Uh, so actually, in the ninth, in the ninth, in the middle of nineties, I was I had a higher level on site than after work, which is quite strange for a lot of people. They they can do a certain grade after they have worked a lot, and then mm. they on site a grade or two under that. But I think in nineteen ninety five, I on sited eight A plus uh, French grades. Uh, several and I had never done eight A plus after work. <laughs> Red point. <laughs> so uh, you're I definitely done, a one sider. Uh, yeah, I've done eight A after work, and then I did a handful of eight A pluses and on site. Yeah. And then I said, okay, of course I can do eight. I said then I did an eight B very fast, and I've almost on sited several eight Bs, but fell sort of short of the anchor or of the belay several times. And then I realized that I actually have. A level now to to do something real hard. I compared to other people internationally yeah. who did eight A plus uh, on site, and they they did eight C after work. And I said to myself, okay, I'm at this level now, so maybe I should try and and find a project and do a hard route. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's it's also about personality because uh, working something, dedicating a long time, it also takes a lot of. I I uh, I admire people who who spend sort of hundreds of days in one route trying to solve this puzzle. puzzle. Mm, mm. And, and even though they're very far from achieving it, they, they keep on do, working it and then one day they, they do it. 
So it was also partly because of my fear of going into this zone. And then, yeah. so, but I entered into this zone when I, well, I started red pointing a few hard routes in Oslo where I did it really quick. I did like three of the most classic eight Bs in Oslo in, in two weeks or 10 days time, uh, just like in one or two days, but all of them. And then with some rest days in between, and then I felt, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. So by chance, I, I, re- I saw this line on the east coast, west coast of Norway when we were out looking at the crag there. And it really, it, I fell in love with the, 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 the texture of the rock. Yeah. The, it looked so great. And uh, I abseiled down and I saw there were, there were holes, just enough holes. And uh, they they sort of climbed in a really nice way. The route climbed, in, as we say. And uh, I was motivated to to dedicate myself to this project. So I worked on it. But the uh, reason why it got the name Terribly in Doubt was because I spent uh, 17 days on the route before <laughs> I did it. And for me, that was a gr- big leap. Before that, I've never been on a route more than two days. That's uh, dedication. Yeah, 17 days. But the 17 days were spread out of three years. Yeah. Uh, a few days the first year just to see that I could actually do the moves or visualize that I could do the moves. I think I did all the moves the first year uh, on a tight top rope, as we say, mm. uh, but uh, before the spring came and winter. And uh, what made it a bit bit challenging also was because this route was seven, seven hours drive from my home in Oslo. So yeah. it was quite and in, a, in a part of Norway where it rains a lot <laughs> and there were no other easy routes on the crag. So it was difficult to get any people there to, to blame it. But anyway, the next summer was really nice, uh, but it was too warm. Uh, the summer of 97, uh, it was so warm uh, that I never got any good conditions. Okay. So like 15 of the de- 17 days on the route but was spent that summer and just falling on the same high point all the time because it was just too too warm too sweaty well i didn't know at that time i just felt i, I thought it was just too 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 hard but even though i got up six o'clock in the morning every day and tried it early in the morning it just felt too hard and then the next year when i came back i did it third go <laughs> okay it was wind and better conditions and i did it third go and and then i was very very in doubt as of the grade that's that's the name <laughs> that's the Why name that? yeah but uh, but for sure, you're one of the best Norwegian climbers out there. And you became one of the great pioneers of big wall climbing in the Antarctica. And in this episode, we would like to learn more about those expeditions. You have four or five of them, right? Uh, five. Five been, expeditions. Been to, yes, five, five times. When did you first get to know about the climbing in, in this exotic place on Earth? Uh, it happened in uh, this autumn of 1993. I was actually living in Provence, Aix-en-Provence, in southern France, um, to uh, as yeah, I, I escaped Norway just to to try and become as good as I could for climbing. Mm-hmm. So I was training there on my own and and with the French people I met, uh, just hiking around to the best crags. Uh, and uh, I just one evening I got uh, I was planning to stay there for seven or eight months but one evening uh, in November I think I got a telephone call from a guy in Norway who I'd never met or even heard about he was called Ivar Tollefsen Mm -hmm. and uh, he wondered if I wanted to uh, come on an expedition a climbing expedition to Antarctica yeah 
And, uh, that's a nice question. <laughs> that's a nice question. And of course, uh, I immediately said yes because he had uh, had he had uh, got my name from three other good climbing friends of mine, Tom Cosgrave and Shunea Simon Tronhilde, who was going on this expedi- expedition, mm-hmm. and they had uh, yeah. So um, so yes, it was an easy easy question to answer. <laughs> so when did you go? We went in uh, December uh, 1993. I came back from Aix-en-Provence uh, Monday, one uh, one week, uh, just before Christmas. And uh, after three or four days, we got on a plane to South Africa. I, I just, a few days before, I met uh, the expedition leader, Ivar, and the other people I was going with. <laughs> and we flew down to Cape Town uh, and left on a Russian uh, uh icebreaker on uh, i think it was uh, the 23rd 3rd of december 1993 we okay. uh, or was it even uh, the 24th <laughs> yeah uh we left cape town for for antarctica and uh, it was quite an adventure because there was uh, at that time uh, it was not uh, i don't know if there were any planes going to antarctica all the transport to antarctica for climbing expeditions or well, there were no climbing expeditions actually, but uh, the polar research expeditions were carried out by boat. Yeah. So we were on a regular uh, expedition boat for for the polar research expeditions, and uh, you was, were the first climbing expeditions to this area. To this area, the people had been to Mount Winston area before, mm-hmm. of course, um, but the, this area that no no people had been to this. Actually, in the mountain range where we were lucky to visit in Ulvetanna range or the Fenriskjeften range, uh, no other people had ever been uh, you were to the foot. First human yeah. beings, so the, like the, on the moon, like on the moon, actually. But uh, people had been close; they had been like thirty kilometers away, yeah. taking photographs, and uh, we also had aerial photograph photographs from um, from the fifties, sixties. So uh, whether. Mapping survey expedition okay. had, had flown over taking photographs. So this was really uh, unknown territory. Well, apart from, well, well, we had the photographs actually, yeah. but no no people had ever set foot on this land. How did you get there when you arrived by ship and then you... Yeah, we went- were actually flown by uh, s- some old <laughs> Russian helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> Aeroflot uh, helicopters uh, from from the ice, okay. the, ba- the barrier, and onto Into land, the- and then we skied for a while. Yeah. Okay. And then you arrived. Then we arrived at. Uh, and and the great objective for this first expedition was that Ulvetanna itself. For us climbers, yes. Yeah. Uh, officially, for the sponsors, because this was quite an expensive expedition. Um, and uh, so the, the official goal for the expedition uh, who had motivated the sponsors were actually climbing Norway's highest mountain. Okay. Which nobody knew which mountain this was. <laughs> Not even the people at the Norwegian Polar Institute. So my good friend Ivar, who was, uh, who was organized the whole expedition and took the initiative, he actually did all the research and found through all the information that was available, that this peak called Jökulkyrkja, uh, the, the, the church of the, the ice cap, uh, was most probably the highest peak in uh, Queen Maud land, yeah. which is the Norwegian sector down there. Uh, so 
we could say the highest peak in Norway, if you <laughs> like to say. In some way, we could say that. So this was, uh, of, of, of course, uh, of, of news interest. Yeah. And uh, but uh, and it's a beautiful peak, but it's a skiing uh, summit. So we An easy one. Easy one. Yeah. The first we did was to ski this summit. Uh, so already the first day of the expedition, we had ticked the the <laughs> the most important object for the expedition was a success yeah, a success for the sponsors we took all the photographs and after that we had like six weeks of a holiday and just trying to <laughs> achieve our uh, own personal mountaineering and climbing goals yeah and then we so then we we skied uh, four days um, away from this highest peak uh, to reach Fenrisjeften okay the, this uh, mountain uh, Massive, where Ulvetanna is the major peak. Yeah. And what did you think or feel when you saw this mountain for the first time? Oh, it's it's surreal. It's uh, I mean, it's it's the Ulvetanna is like it's like Fitzroy, Cerro Torre. Um, it's it's uh, those famous it's, people, mountains yes, in Patagonia. It's, it's a major summit anywhere in the world. It it attracts you, and it's uh, of course to be able to be the first people on Earth, uh, as we know of, <laughs> to go there and and yeah. try and uh, just ski around it and look at it and touch it and and maybe climb it. It was we felt very very privileged. <laughs> it was uh, it was a dream come true, really. And so, when you touched it, how was the rock? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well the, the granite down there. It looks really good in photographs. Uh, it's golden. Um, yeah, it looks like solid granite, but organized. But it's uh, it varies a lot. Some okay. places it, it's good, but a lot of the places it's really eroded okay. by wind uh, temperatures. What do I know? It's just uh, it's. It's loose. It's um, a little flaky. Flaky, flaky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, loose. I'd say loose, flaky. Mm. It it has a surface like, like cornflakes. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the small edges you want to use for climbing, they can suddenly pop off. And uh, but I mean, you get used to it. Uh, but but definitely, the rock isn't as good as it looks. Uh, but everything else is it's worth it anyway uh, the climbing is good and and you can some of the rock it's so eroded by wind uh and snow and ice or or sand particles i don't know it's like it's very sculptured yeah beautiful to climb on but difficult to protect and and loose but it's it can be very sculptured mm. So um, I mean it's but I mean the the, the views the the beauty it's it's just it's uh, amazing amazing. Did you choose the the easiest way up or did you choose another way up? Initially on our first expedition there, um, obviously soon, well immediately we we realized that Ulvetanna is the major prize, but we wanted to try and and we were a big group. We were uh, eight climbers, I think. Okay. So we divided into two groups. Um, and uh, four of the climbers uh, started on Ulvetanna immediately, mm-hmm. on the most uh, awe-inspiring uh, and, and impressive uh, face on Ulvetanna, the, the north face, okay. where we had our base camp just situated just below 
And uh, so four of the climbers started there. I was not part of those. I, I was only 22 years old. I was not... Uh, <laughs> We must remember that. Yes, <laughs> I was a rookie. I had never... I'd climbed Trollwegen, that's true. I'd even tried Trollwegen in winter the year before. And I'd, I'd done things, but but I was not a very achieved uh, mountaineer. Uh, and uh, But the others on the expedition had more more achievements. So mm-hmm. there was another team sort of of four that started on the, the big face. Uh, me and another guy, Jan Åge, we were uh, so-called so-called alpine team we were we were given all the other easier summits okay. the alpine summits not the big wall and that which was a, a fantastic gift so we we traveled la- around uh, just doing uh, uh, faster ascents okay. in a day or in 48 hours of, of uh, minor peaks uh, but but still ragged uh, alpine peaks and first ascents and first ascents yeah Every, all everything. over the place all over the place everything we did <laughs> But uh, I must admit, I was envious of the other, yeah. because uh, it was not. It was quite obvious that Ulvetanna was the major prize, okay. uh, and I really wanted to be on the first ascent <laughs> yeah. team on Ulvetanna. So, luckily for me, I mean, everything played out really fine. Uh, it was too difficult. Uh, it turned out that the north face was was just too compact, difficult, friable rock. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Uh, and and time was uh, running out for us, so we only had two weeks of our stay left. And then, uh, so we decided that uh, only two of the walk team would continue to try uh, the North Face, but while the two others would join me as a team of three to try and climb Ulvetanna from the opposite side, okay, on the West Face, which uh, obviously, as you, when you look at the mountain, is, is the easiest way up. Mm-hmm. And the logic way to do the first ascent, actually. And I, w- I had pointed at this all the time and really wanted to go there. But because of the politics on the team, yeah. uh, I had to back off and, and do, do all these other small mountains before. But now But you now got I had the, Yes, we had the, <laughs> the chance to, to go for, the, for a try on the mountain, uh, attempt on the mountain. Yeah. Uh, at the same time as the others climbed on the north face. And uh, it all played out really well. We had a fantastic uh, adventure there. Yeah. And I think we reached the summit after six days or something. And uh, it took us another two days to get back down. I can't remember quite, but it was a really true, fantastic adventure. Yeah. And you just, all of you understood that we have to come back here. Yeah, well, I mean... This is the first time, but we just have to come back and back. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's of course, you, you, we fell in love. It's, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's just surreal, this place. It's, it's if you like winter climbing, but it's more comfortable than winter climbing in Norway or in the Alps because it's, uh, it's 24-hour daylight. Yeah. It might be colder sometimes. And it's true. If the weather's poor, it 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 can be really harsh. But when the weather's good, and I mean, it's twenty four hour day, like you get a lot of energy, and it's easy to get around. You ski. Mm-hmm. There's no big scree slopes uh, or horrendous valleys to go in and up or down. No, you you ski around. It's really easy. You ski around to the bottom of the yeah. the wall. You want to, to the climb. wall, and you and you go climbing. So it's it's comfortable, and it's it's a paradise. It's a Disney World, really. So obviously we wanted to come back, but what what is not so easy to? I mean, when I describe the climbing as easy, and uh, and once you're there, it's quite easy to get around and to get 
climbing and mm. do a lot of activity. But getting there is the crux. Yeah, because it's on the opposite side yes, of the world. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's far, yeah, but it's very expensive yeah. to get there. So financing the expeditions uh, was the big challenge. And luckily on the first expedition, Ivar, he did all the work. He's got a lot of energy and he's a very competent man. So he did all the work and had, but he had had also a lot of work when he came back home. He wrote a book. He did a lot of lectures, everything to mm-hmm. to to pay for the expedition. But he was also keen. So and he had found another mountain. So we went back two years later okay. to cry, climb another virgin mountain in a, in an area nobody had ever been. And he did the same thing there and, and worked as mad to, to achieve this, uh, getting all the sponsors. And yeah. I, he did a tremendous work. And you got them. another phone call. I Would you a, like to go? I got another <laughs> phone call. I was very lucky. So I've been very lucky on this. Uh, Th- then you went to Rondespira? Then we went to Rondespira. Is that in another area? or Yes, it's actually 600 kilometers um, further east, you could say, from, from this uh, Fenrisjeften, Ulvetanna mm. area. In, um, it's, it's in an area called uh, the southern Rondane, Sør-Rondane. But just as spectacular and, and well, yeah, it's we were waiting, we were hoping for the same scenery, or we had only one. It was poorer. Um, we only had one photograph from this mountain. Okay, uh, before we left, uh, but it, uh, which, which somebody had, somebody had taken from an airplane uh, forty years earlier or something, <laughs> uh, and uh, it looked fantastic. Uh, really even more pointed than Ulvetanna, actually. Mm-hmm. The summit of Ronde Spire, uh, as we call it, is, is even more pointed than Ulvetanna. Uh, so, as impressive, I would say. Yeah. But uh, it has not had as much... Uh, nobody's been there after we we went there, actually. I don't think there's been any expeditions. To that, to Ronde Spire. To, to Ronde Spire. And maybe it's because our descriptions from, from there, because uh, we really had an... It looks fantastic, but uh, it's very, very windy. Okay. It, at least it was when we were there. But uh, I'm sure there's, there could be times when it's not so windy. <laughs> but we had some horrendous weather. I remember reading the book from that expedition, and it's a lot about windy conditions. And yes. uh, things just holing away in, in the wind. It was quite um, quite a shock because we when we flew in over the mountain, we circum circumnavigated the mountain. I remember I was I was having a, I was feeling quite of painful in my stomach because it looked desperately exposed and thin. Yeah, uh, but also inspiring. But uh, as we landed. Uh, we flew with a twin otter on skis. And uh, I remember uh, the plane, uh, as it touched the snow with the skis, uh, It from it touched uh, to we stood still. It was like 40, 50 meters, <laughs> one sh- rope length. And then we would stand still. And I was like, uh, that's kind of strange. Don't you need more than 50 meters runway here? <laughs> and uh, the reason obviously was because there was so, so strong uh, headwind. And uh, so we couldn't get the door open even on the on the side of the plane. <laughs> so we were fighting to get the door open. And when we got out, we were just blown away on the snow and had had really trouble pitching our tents to, to establish our base camp. Yeah. 
And this wind just continued and continued. And uh, when we looked around, we, we saw on the terrain that this is not the first day or week it's blowing in this area. Because <laughs> you could see, it was logic, because you could see on the leeward side of the mountain, there was this turbulence and big wakeos and formations yeah. had been made. But on the, on the windward side, it was blown completely blank, the rock. Oh. You could see the colors and the formations were, were actually, uh, yeah, they were formed by the dominating wind there. And uh, we could see there was no snow on the background, only blue ice. Yeah. So it was very poor skiing conditions. And uh, obviously <laughs> this is because of the topography there. It, uh, it, it lies, the mountains lies just where the plateau from the southern um, South Pole uh, descends quite abruptly just before um, down to this area. And uh, so the catabatic winds from the, the cold uh, air on the South, uh, South Pole area, it, it sort of, yeah, it descends out towards the coast. And in this area in particular, it accelerates. Okay. And the winds can reach like 300 kilometers per hour. It's, Almost like a wind tunnel. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we were really shocked and... Uh, and immediately we oh well, yeah. initially we just didn't know what to do because the plane had left we, <laughs> it was like six weeks until the plane was picking us up again uh, what shall we do a strange feeling a strange feeling and we dared uh, almost not go out out of our tents so but gradually we we approached the mountain and uh, and as like i said i mean we don't have much else to do we have our climbing gear we don't have other hobbies really and uh, let's go climbing. And uh, so we tried and realized when we were connected to the mountains, uh, to the to the rock, yeah. it it, it worked. But uh, coming abseiling was very difficult. And uh, you marring coming after on a on a tight rope was yeah. if the rope wasn't connected many spots or many places on the rock, it was dangerous because you pen you you were blown all over the rock face. <laughs> So sounds dangerous. it was it was it was quite dangerous at the <laughs> times actually. You are known for being a supporter of of the so-called good style on your climbing trips and expeditions. Could you try to explain for us this view of, on the climbing ethics? What's what's good style when you're approaching a mountain and you want to do a first ascent? Well, that's a complicated uh, issue, but I, I think it, the first first uh, is to try and respect uh, other people trying the same the 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 the, the zeitgeist or I mean the the the, the culture mm-hmm. uh, in the community that uh, in this certain area or at these times we are living. What is the the goods and and try to be better, of course. Try to be the best style, but uh, sort of respect. Uh, the history mm-hmm. of places you're climbing in and uh, the, the main uh, the, the the main thing is to try and leave the place as as it was when yeah. you arrived first so that next people that arrive they they won't see any traces of you mm. that's the gold golden standard but then into climbing it becomes more complicated when um, when uh, if you introduce um 
bolts, for example. Yeah. Well, especially bolts, mm. uh, when you can penetrate the rock wherever you want to. Uh, that's that's a major line to cross, mm. uh, which is complicated, I find. I think uh, uh, it would be an easier world uh, if there was no there were no bolts. But again, a lot of us enjoy climbing on bolts also mm. sport climbing is is founded on that mm. uh, but it's it's sort of to respect uh, some wilderness areas i think is very important uh, but i i think and it's 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 where you come from is also it's difficult to it, it takes a lot of experience also i mean i well, first time the most the, the uh, ascent i'm most proud of in Antart- in antarctica is actually our first ascent of Ulvetanna mm-hmm. because we didn't place a single bolt. Okay. We didn't, uh, but that was quite by by chance also because we didn't have the gear. <laughs> uh, you, you see? Ethics uh, by chance. Yeah. Because, uh, and I mean, then you're up against the mountain on your own. There's no way. It's either the mountain wins or you win, but but you can't alter the mountain. You can't do anything. It's, it's apart from the... the, the the gear you've got, uh, you can retrieve easily. The the nuts and friends and and the pitons where you can ham. I think is a major difference. Pitons uh, you can hammer into a crack, but the crack was made by God or Allah or who makes it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, but but when you drill something into the rock, you you alter it and uh, you take the role of God. Uh, I've done that uh, also, and uh, we did it on the north face of Ulvetanna, uh, and it's. A, when you cross that line, it's really uh, difficult because you have to keep your tongue uh, tongue uh, right in your mouth because mm. it's you want to keep the challenge, but you're in possession of some gear that can 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 uh, take away all challenge. So yeah. it's it's really difficult to. But but yeah. I I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's uh, it's complicated. It's complicated for sure. A lot of different meanings as well. What's uh, left to do down there? Are you going back? There's a lot of things to do down there for sure. Um, there has been a, a big increase in expeditions there. Um, we have seen like uh, Konrad Anker mm. and Jimmy Chin and those big photos in National Geographic a couple of years ago. There's been some activity there. And it's known known to the world now. It is, and it's um, what what <laughs> it's very egoistic, but uh, selfish. But uh, of course, uh, as it gets cheaper, easier to get there logistically, yeah. there will be more people. And uh, I don't uh, like that. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, it's totally selfish. <laughs> I've been very lucky to to have people organize the. the sponsorships mm. for me um but do you have any what, plans to go to return uh yeah hope, hope no no concrete no no definite plans or climbing objects but i've got a really long list of really nice climbing object objectives down there <laughs> okay. that uh that's a secret list is well i share it sometimes <laughs> with some people but uh a selected, a selected group of people yeah but it's yeah it's it's a lot of things to do there still yeah, uh, but there's all the mountains closer, and, and and the adventure is the the most important is to have a true adventure, and um, what down there logistically, uh, 
the problem is when we have all the means to like like what they're doing now is close to Ulvetanna. There's an adventure company who started flying in very close to Ulvetanna, uh, landing with the uh, Jumbo jets, big okay. big airplanes, very close to Ulvetanna. And if you have a snowmobile there, you can you can you can drive straight up to the mountain mm. with a snowmobile, and you can climb. And I I don't know. I I really hope that uh, this will not be the future. No. That uh, this will also be a lost area where there will be too many tourists. But it's it's hard to regulate, and without uh, seeming too selfish, <laughs> it is. that's a thin red line. Yeah. <laughs> When you're here, Robert, I have to ask you, what's your top three tips and tricks to become a better climber? Better climber. I mean, I, I would ask. It's uh, uh, I would say motivation, motivation, motivation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, and it, for me, it's always been easy because uh, I've always been really keen on climbing. I've never had to. Oh, I have to do this and do that. I've always just climbed, climbed. Mm on things and always for, motivated always motivated for climbing and well that's not true because if i i've been doing some type of climbing for too long like sport climbing mm. i could feel that uh, uh it flattens me out uh, i don't have much emotions around it mm. but uh, so i don't have to do much thing but i just seek out uh, why i started climbing was i find some scary climbing <laughs> uh yeah get more risk exposure <laughs> that's a good climb. advice that's a good advice <laughs> seek out no i mean, I, mean it's, i for me it's i just love all forms of climbing so i've done a lot of variation mm. and and like like sport climbing where in sometimes of some some seasons uh, if you live in a big city you know it's easiest to do sport climbing and then in other uh, in the vacations you can go off and do mountain climbing and so forth yeah but uh, for me also the funda- foundation when i started climbing uh, i wanted to be a mountaineer i didn't know of sport climbing until i climbed for a while but uh, sport climbing came later i started with mountain climbing mm. mountaineering uh, but Very soon I realized, well, I didn't think much about it, but I realized now that the basis for all the hard moves on a snowy, icy, wet, shitty peak, loose rock, high on the troll wall or in the Himalayas or where, the moves you do there, they are, I mean, it's moves. Mm. Uh, And the moves you get better at uh, doing sport climbing also. I mean, you have to just climb a lot. If you train bouldering, sport climbing, and you, if you are a very proficient climber there and, and start, develop this all the time, you will climb better in the mountains mm. if your head is on the right place and you know how to put the mm. gear or or appreciate being without gear or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, it's, for me, it's everything's connected. It gave, makes me better at everything, all mm. the things I do. And So one advice I, is to try different styles. Try different styles and... I, I mean, just have fun. Mm. Just have fun. If you have, if you're motivated and do it a lot, you get better. Mm. Uh, and so Ali, I think, but people are, so what I've always uh, advocated or, but it's because that's what I like also is, is to climb on site, mm. travel around and get a lot of input. Yeah. That's how your vocab- vocabulary or your library of, of movements develop mm. that you can do things on site 
you you can uh, solve the puzzle the riddle fast yeah. Yeah. because you've been around and exposed yourself to so many different uh, varieties uh, routes it's like it's always i say to people if they're people are a lot a lot of people are interested in ticking grades numbers well, it means a lot to most of us it's easy to communicate mm. but uh, i i used to say that uh, if you tick one grade uh, one grade eight for example uh, you're not a grade eight climber until you've climbed several grade eights that's a good point because i mean it's it's a yeah. big variation so you need to in my uh, world it, i i i admire the climbers who 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 do all all the styles slabs overhang cracks mm. everything mm. that's and if i dream about climbing a big wall one sunny day <laughs> yeah. not a windy day yeah. how should i train and and prepare for such a climb well i mean it's uh trying to get volume again uh because everything you're going to do up there is on site mm. you're not you don't have time or i mean hopefully you're on a level where you will do it on site mm. uh, so so climb a lot on site uh on the crags around uh, where where you live mm. do do the routes that are not that attractive maybe Uh, a bit wet loose shitty the north side yeah go on the (laughs) north side and try to do it fast and and don't forget to well if you're lucky and can do traditional climbing of course uh, and to build your own anchors Mm. the belays because that takes a lot of time when you if you want to do a multi-pitch a big wall uh, you need to be well it's good to be fast and efficient on all the belays yeah so and how, how high is it before you call it a big wall <laughs> what is a big wall for me what's a big wall for you uh, <laughs> what would you I, say is the minimum i say i i for for me it has to be above 500 meters okay so my 100 meters are not enough no but <laughs> I, i i i totally i see that question because uh a lot of uh smaller walls mm. you can have the big wall feeling yeah i say even on a 300 meter high wall if it's very exposed i get i can get what i call the big wall feeling yeah. but it's not a big wall it's a semi big <laughs> wall maybe but the like uh, blåman in tromsø it's i was very disappointed when i climbed it uh, first time in back in the 92 or something uh 93 i can't remember but uh, anyway i was told it was a big wall Mm-hmm. And I had sort of my backpack full of food, and it was supposed to be 500 meters plus, and it turned out to be only like 400 meters high. <laughs> I remember, I remember, I was very disappointed. It's not a big wall, but it's got the big wall feeling. That's a good point. Thanks, Robert. It's uh, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Hope to see you soon again. It's been a pleasure, Ivan. Norana podcast is published by the Norwegian outdoor company Norana Sport. Norana has been producing premium outdoor products since 1929. Check out our clothes, backpacks, tents, sleeping bags and skis on our website norana.com. There you will also find more inspiring stories about our rich history, the expeditions we have participated in, our ambassadors and our ambitions in sustainability. 
Thank you for listening to Nurona Podcast. We really appreciate it. And welcome to nature.